Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Hey, good morning again. You may have heard over the weekend that there was an Amber Alert issued for a nine-year-old girl named Charlotte Cena. Um, she had been uh, on a camping trip with her family in New York State. Um, she was riding her bike um, with some other kids around a loop trail, and um, the other kids uh, dropped off, and she wanted to make one more loop um, around uh, around the lake, and um, and she didn't return. Um, and so, obviously, not only her parents, but everyone else in uh, in the camp dropped everything that they were doing, and a massive um, search uh, took place. And uh, they found her bicycle, but not Charlotte. Um, and so they uh, this was on um, Saturday, and so you know they searched. Um, and on the third day, the third morning, um, they made a desperate plea um, for any clues related to her whereabouts. And I have some very good news for you today. Um, she was located on Monday. She was last seen at the Moreau uh, Lake State Park in Saratoga County, New York at 615 on Saturday. Um, and an Amber Alert was um, was issued, obviously a parent's worst night- nightmare. Um, thank you to all of the members of law enforcement. Thank you to everyone, all of the volunteers who went and searched. Um, and thank you to God for uh, helping this story um, develop the way that it has developed. She was abducted. Uh, that individual has now been um, arrested by uh, state authorities, um, and obviously this little girl has a lot in front of her, and so does her family, and so let's be upholding all of them in our prayers today. Um, that which is lost can be found. You are not a lost cause. Um, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, and if you are um, feeling abandoned or forsaken today, um, I want to invite you to allow yourself to be found. Like the, the, the search is on for you. Um, Jesus came to seek you out. And no matter the darkness that you find yourself in, um, light shines. And so I want to speak that word of hope and encouragement to you today. And I also recognize that it's possible that you are listening right now and you are in bondage that someone else is literally keeping you captive. Um, And I want you to hear us say, um, the search is on for you as well, not just by Jesus, but by the rest of us. And if you are actively engaged in a ministry that is setting captives free, 
if you are working in the anti-human trafficking effort in a, in a ministry, if you're doing it in law enforcement, um, if you're doing it in a community organization, thank you. There are more people held captive today in the bondage of slavery of one kind or another um, than at any other point in time in all of human history. I know you don't like to think that that's the world that we live in, but it is. And so this one little girl has been liberated from captivity and bondage, but there are so many others who have not. And so could you press in today? Could you be a seeker of those who are lost, that they would know that others are looking for them, that we desire for them to be liberated and found? And again, if, you, if you're still hiding from God, if you're still living in darkness um, because you're resisting being found, I just, you know, the, the children's game of hide and seek ends with this great call of grace. Um, come out, come out, wherever you are, all in, all in, all in, free. When I was a little kid, I thought that they were saying, ollie, ollie, oxen free. It's not ollie, ollie, oxen free. It's all in, all in, all in, free. That is, that is the good news of the gospel today. For all who will lost, who are all who are lost or in hiding, if you will let yourself be found. Grace is real. Jesus has come. He seeks to save the lost, all in, all in, all in free. Aren't you tired of hiding? Don't you want to be found? All in, all in, all in free. Did you pray the Lord's Prayer uh, yesterday, maybe in um, or Sunday in worship with your community of faith? Is, is the Lord's Prayer a part of your rhythm of your own personal everyday worship? Is it part of what you do as a family? When we pray the Lord's Prayer as Jesus taught us to pray, one of the things that we say is, give us this day our daily bread. And so when you ask God to give you daily bread, are you praying that prayer on a full stomach, with a full cupboard, without any question about where your next meal is coming from? Or are you praying, God, give us this day our daily bread, acknowledging that not only is your own stomach empty, but you don't know how you're going to feed your children? Friends, we live a long way from Eden, and we know that all creation groans with eager longing for man's redemption. We also know that people around the world do not have enough to eat. And yet, we also know that God has supplied everything that's necessary for people to live in plenty and not in want. So, how can um, disciples who live in places where people are hungry, how can disciples who live in places where people are hungry be equipped to be agents of restoration and good stewards of creation um, as they grow in their own walk with Christ. That is the story of Creation Stewards International, and we're going to talk next um, with Craig Sorley from CSI. He is their director in Kenya, and he's currently walking around in the state of Minnesota. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. 
Hey, joining us now, Craig Surley. We're going to um, invite you to check out Creation Stewards International. Craig, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. It's a delight to be here. Okay, so I have like a thousand things I'd like to talk with you about. Like, what's it even like? Do you? We could spend the whole time you just telling us the story of a third and now fourth generation missionary family. Like, that's amazing. Um, you could you could talk with us about you know, why you are back in Minnesota and what you're doing, walking around, uh, putting 500 miles uh, on your feet. But let's start with this. Um, what do you know about hunger? And what do you know about the long-term systemic problem of hunger, particularly in Africa? Well, thanks for the great question, Carmen. I look at Africa and I look at Hunger is a dark cloud that is always hanging over Africa. And I've lived there for my growing up years. Um, My parents were missionaries in Uganda when the very first case of HIV AIDS was discovered in Uganda. And I've been there the past 22 years. And um, I would um, like to emphasize that Africa is the hungriest continent on the planet So we have, um, according to the FAO, a report that came out, a really interesting website called A Tale of Empty Plates, um, emphasizes that 57% of people in Africa struggle from either moderate to severe hunger. And so out of that 57%, 23% struggle with severe hunger. And that's about 270 million people. So when we think about our population here in the U.S., about 30, 335 million, um, if that kind of condition existed here in the U.S., that it exists in Africa, that means 80% of all the people in the U.S. struggle from severe hunger. And uh, with the war in Ukraine and uh, grain shipments that are pre- being prevented out of out of Ukraine and so forth, that problem has gotten worse in Africa. And they're predicting that by 2030, 310 million or 320 million people in Africa will suffer from severe food shortages. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. My second question was going to be, you know, how has the world changed in the last couple of years related to this? And you have highlighted the um, the driver, which is uh, the Russia's war on Ukraine and the disruption of of grain um, being supplied um, to this part of Africa, to the continent of Africa, but in 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 large measure to this one swath um, uh, just north of the Sahara Desert. Is that one way to think about it? That there's this there is this swath of Africa that is desperately hungry, and Kenya is in that. Band, and that is where um, you and Tracy and your boys um, serve. So, uh, Africa is this enormous continent, and we tend, as you know, as people in the United States, you know, we just tend to think of it as a whole, but it's not. It's a lot of different countries. So maybe you could bring the country where you serve, Kenya, into focus for us, um, and and tell us. about Kenya and your work there with Creation Stewards International. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Cameron. Um, 
I like to look at Scripture when I think about this issue, and um, I'd like to just paint a very quick thread through the, from the beginning to the end of Scripture. Um, in the Garden of Eden, we see a picture of abundance, and Adam and Eve are blessed with a picture of abundance. And, you know, that story repeats itself in uh, when the Israelites are rescued out of Egypt and they're brought into the land of Canaan, and that land is described as a land flowing with milk and honey. Um, but this this picture of abundance doesn't end um, right there in in the Old Testament with the the land of Canaan, but it also is emphasized at the very end of Scripture. So you go to the last chapter of Revelations, chapter 22, and there's this amazing picture of abundance. Um, and I'm just going to read from, straight from Scripture here. The, um, 22, verse 1, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal. And one of the things I love about this image is that a lot of the rivers and streams in Africa today look like chocolate milk because mm. of the deforestation and the soil erosion that has taken place there. So when I see this, um, the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, it says it's flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. That is a stunning picture of what we get to look forward to in the new heaven and in the new earth. I often joke with my Kenyan colleagues that the tree of life is going to be a mango tree. (laughs) But can you imagine a mango tree that produces 12 crops of of, uh, fruit every year? So... um, There's an interesting story that was very foundational in my work in Kenya a number of years ago. I was working with a group of about 25 small-scale farmers in the Rift Valley, and um, I was just introducing them to this concept of farming God's way. But as I was working with them, I, I wanted to know where do these farmers place themselves on the social ladder of Kenya. And so I drew a ladder on the chalkboard And I asked the farmers, where do you see yourselves on the social ladder of Kenya? And they really shocked me. They said, no, Craig, you need to draw a coffin in the ground. And it kind of surprised me. So I went and I drew a coffin in the ground. And then these farmers told me, they said, we see ourselves as between the last rung on the ladder and the coffin in the ground. And another farmer chipped in and he said, the spirit of agriculture is dead. And so that really helped me to realize that not only do a lot of farmers all across Africa struggle just from physical poverty and physical scarcity, but they're also struggling with a sense of hopelessness, a sense of shame, and a sense of even helplessness as to how to um, feed their families with and to raise enough food for their families. So that was a that was a real eye-opening experience for me that showed me that we really need to minister to these people um, in a way that can lift them up and help them restore their crop productivity across Africa. 
We're talking with Craig Sorley. Uh, now that you have heard him and now that you have heard reference to Farming God's Way, I know now you like want to know where to find this information. So uh, Creation Stewardship International is the ministry, Creation Steward I nst.org so creation steward stewards int would be the way to read that creation stewards int so creation stewards international.org um talk with us a little bit more um in just a moment about farming god's way we got to take a very brief break craig but when we come back um I want you to talk with us about Farming God's Way. We know that all creation groans with eager longing for man's redemption. You are making this beautiful connection between discipleship um, and the reality of discipleship and actually these um, farm families, these small-scale farmers in Africa. So I think uh, we've got a lot of people we interested in knowing more about that. And then I also want to talk with you about this 500-mile walk you're taking. We're talking with Craig Sorley. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. 150 million people, 150 million people actively use one particular app every month in the United States of America. I want that to be the Faith Radio app. How about you? If you're wondering how you could be encouraged in your faith at any time, anywhere, well, I got good news for you. There's literally an app for that. You can listen to Faith Radio live, any show on demand, no matter where you are at any time of the day or night. Download the free Faith Radio app right now. It's super easy. Just text the word APP to 877-933-2484 and click the link. Let's connect faith to life. We're talking with uh, Craig Sorley. Again, the website that you're going to want to check out is Creation Stewards International. So Creation Stewards, I-N-T, dot org there you can find out not only about craig's 500 mile walk which we're going to talk about in just a moment but also a tree and forestry education there's an incredible uh, tree planting project underway and we're going to focus in right now on farming god's way and you can find more uh, about this as well at the website Uh, talk with us about farming god's way Um, you're you're equipping these small-scale farmers in Africa as disciples of Jesus to not only, you know, grow in their discipleship, um, but meet the needs of their families and their neighbors. Yes, that's correct. And um, <clears throat> we like to start with helping people understand, you know, these these farmers that said we're at the bottom of, of Kenyan society. We like to remind them that in the beginning, God was the first farmer, the Lord God planted a garden in the east in Eden, and that man's first job description was to take care of God's garden. So that brings a whole sense of meaning and dignity back into the life of farmers. And so when we use Farming God's Way, we kind of go to farmers and we say, uh, God has called you to be the best possible steward of your farms as possible. And so it's a it's a wonderful discipleship focused teaching tool that helps people to restore their soil, to restore their crop yields, to restore their hope and their dignity as small scale farmers. And there's just millions of small scale farmers around the world. And um, one of the favorite stories is a story of Grace the widow who learned how to do farming God's way, and uh, she had restored her soil. She was growing green vegetables 
in the middle of the dry season there in the Rift Valley, and people were surprised that she was having such such success. And um, and so she asked one of our um, outreach trainers uh, named Russell to come back and to help her with some of her continuation of implementing Farming God's Way. And when Russell showed up, she had invited 40 people to come mm. and listen to what Russell had to say about Farming God's Way. So this is the kind of thing that we would love to do all across Africa. It's a powerful tool for discipleship. Um, you are seeking to not only bring awareness, but uh, expand um you know, expand the ministry. You're actually taking a 500-mile walk. Uh, talk with us about where you are in that process um, and how people can support you in it. Yeah, thanks. Great question. Um, I started my walk back in June, and I've uh, I've done 400 miles. <laughs> I've got 100 <laughs> miles more to go. But really, the, the main reason I'm doing this walk is I really want um, the Lord to bless CSI and our desires to expand this work, and we really need some help. So I've been doing a lot of praying as I walk, and it's kind of praying for God's provision, praying for wisdom and guidance as we seek to expand, praying for just the right people that we need to join this ministry, and praying for the finances uh, for that to happen as well. So one of the biggest needs we have in our organization right now is we really need a development director who has fundraising skills that far exceeds my own. I've been doing this for many years, but it's really not my skill set. And so this this need for a development director, we'd really like to to find somebody who could come over and take over that role. Um, I work with Pastor Eric Hyatt, who used to be the missions pastor at Bethlehem Baptist Church for 10 years, and uh, he has visited our site several times in Kenya, and now he is our U.S. director, and both Eric and I are are visionaries, and um, we really don't have that executive <laughs> uh, skill set of, of raising funds, so that's one reason I'm doing my walk, is that we can add to our team here in the U.S., and we'd like to add also to our team in Kenya so that we can expand the work there. Well, okay, I love that. Um, I bet there's somebody listening right now who absolutely um, would love to get in touch with you. So if you guys text me at 877-933-2484, I'll send you all the direct links um, uh, for what we're talking about today. I, I guarantee you there's there, there are people listening right now. We, there's so many folks who have a heart um not just for farming, but for forestry. Uh, they have a heart for missions They have because they have a heart for Jesus. And so we talk a lot here about cultivating uh, the cultural conversations of the day. We talk a lot about um, a harvest of righteousness, and all of it is connected to this, this creation image um, that, again, as you say, God is the first farmer, and he sets us in a garden, uh, and that is what we're supposed to be doing. Um, we're supposed to be gardening no matter where we are. And um, and what our calling is, you know, so, so thank you for, um, for all that you're doing each and every day. I'd like to ask you a little bit about Tracy and your boys. Um, so, you know, I, cause I think that, um, missionary life is a mystery to a lot of folks. And so maybe you can, you know, just pull back the curtain on, 
uh, on what is, you know, like so mysterious to so many people. You are a third uh, generation missionary. You you raised your boys uh, in Kenya um, and and you've got a wife who maybe didn't think that was what her life was going to look like before she met you. Um, you are a cancer survivor. I think your boys are probably in their early 20s at this point. Like, just give us a little window into your family life. Yeah, thank you. They were bo- Both our boys were born in Kenya, and they went to Rift Valley Academy, the boarding school there in Kenya. And my wife, um, Tracy, uh, bless her heart, she, um, uh, she went to Kenya for the first time and uh, just to kind of tr- try it out on a short-term trip. And the Lord captivated her heart, and she has served as an administrator for our ministry for years. But uh, two years ago, we were so burned out, and we came back from the field, and we struggled with some health issues. Um, But God has um, healed us, and Mm. we're getting ready to go back to Kenya in November. And both our boys are uh, studying engineering in college and um, so we're really grateful for the fact that God has brought some healing to us after being burned out. And um, But we would really like to find other partners that would join with us so that we can expand the work in Kenya. So Tracy has played a, a monumental role over the years in keeping all the administrative nuts and bolts together for a ministry. And... Um, so I really I have a lot of appreciation for all that she's done because I'm not administratively minded like she is. <laughs> um, we love what you're doing. We love knowing about it. We're going to be praying for you, um, and hopefully we're going to be lifting up partners as well. So again, if you guys would like some direct contact information um, for Craig Sorley, he's the Kenya Director for Creation Stewards International you can send me a text, uh, 877-933-2484. We'll put you directly uh, in touch with Craig. You can also visit them online, Creation Stewards International, so creationstewardsint.org. Craig, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Carmen. It was a pleasure. Likewise, likewise. Um, all right, as you look around um, in your local church Do you see more people or fewer people than you saw 25 years ago? Um, That might require that you be a person of a certain age. So let me do it this way. As you look around, are you in church or are you among the 40 million adult Americans who have left the church in the past 25 years? Maybe you haven't left Jesus. You still consider yourself a Christian, but you're not going to church. We're going to talk about the great de-churching next with Jim Davis and Michael Graham. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All righty. I don't know if um, you're in church or if you are de-churched, but my guess is you have noticed there are fewer people in church than a number of years ago. Joining us now, Jim Davis and Michael Graham. They are the co-authors of The Great De-Churching. Who's leaving? Why are they going? Uh, and what will it take to bring them back? Jim and Mike, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks, Carmen. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, Thanks, absolutely. Carmen. Glad to be here. 
It's so great to have both of you here. I'm not going to take the time to go through your bios. Um, I'll share that with folks um, off air. But um, I want to just start with you, Jim. You're a pastor. Um, and and yet I suspect that what you really want to talk about today is that your son scored his first high school football touchdown on Friday night. <laughs> That's right. 75 <laughs> yards. I guess you saw that on social media. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what you want to be talking about today. Oh, I would be happy to talk about my yeah. son's touchdown, Carbon. <laughs> All right, guys, what is the great de-churching? Because this, this massive shift has taken place. So let's just tell just one of the two of you jump in and, and tell us what it is. Yeah. So we started this as an Orlando-based project, but we noticed that most of the people we interact with who don't go to church used to go to church. And we, we realized there's not a lot of data on this, but we had a hunch that we are in the largest and fastest uh, religious shift in the history of our country. So we commissioned uh, social scientists Ryan Burge and Paul Jupe to do a nationwide quantitative, academically peer-reviewed study. Uh, and we, in fact, proved that we are in the largest religious shift in the history of, our, history of our country. The previous largest shift was the 25 years post-Civil War. Uh, that was a growth period. Our shift in terms of percentage is 25% t- 25% greater going the other direction. In terms of numbers, because the country's bigger today, we're talking about more people leaving church, 40 million adult Americans, largely in the past 25 years, uh, that, that that's more people than the first great awakening, the second great awakening, and all the Billy Graham crusades combined. So if you're listening right now, uh, that is the voice of Pastor Jim Davis. Uh, he is a pastor in Orlando. Um, you heard him refer to Ryan Burge, whom we have talked with on prior occasions here on the show. Um, you know him as a researcher who just works at that intersection of religion and uh, and public life, mostly here in the United States. And then Michael Graham, we're going to hear from him next. Uh, you're going to be familiar with his work, though, because we talk frequently about the Keller Center for Cultural Apologetics, and that is where Michael serves as the program director. So, Michael, who is leaving? What did you guys discover in your research? Who is leaving, and why are they leaving? Yeah, so most of the people who are leaving, and so our the nationwide study is all religious traditions. That's 40 million out of all religious traditions. But about 95% of that is out of um, churches in the Christian, broader Christian tradition. So about 20 million people out of the uh, Roman Catholic and mainline um, combined, and then uh, 15 million out of evangelical churches. Um, Of the 15 million out of evangelical churches, um, we developed four different profiles um, a group that looks like cultural Christians, a group that looks like they still want to uh, be going to church, a group of people who are done with evangelical churches, and a group of people um, who are all uh, non-white. So when we when we think about, I guess I guarantee you there's just a lot of people listening right now who are like, I fall into one of the categories of people who are technically de-churched. They still consider themselves Christians. They're just not going to church. And they're not going to church for every reason that you identified in your book. So uh, every single one of those categories is represented by people who are listening right now. And I, I say that with some level of confidence because we hear from them frequently, like, I left church during COVID and I haven't gone back, or I moved to a different place, or I went through a divorce, or I've got a, a child with special needs, or, I mean, go down the list. People, uh, and you you all, mine would be man whom statistics. Yours are like actually researched um, data. Um, is there, 
like when you think about the church, I mean, I, I love the church. I miss my church when I miss church. But not everybody feels that way. Not everybody is missing the church. There's not this like, there's not this sense of like need and longing and desperation to be connected to the body of Christ. Um, why, why is that? Well, I, I think the simplest answer is, is different than the answers that have been given us before on in the one direction before. Um, if you're, if you're, information ecosystem leans a little left, then the story there has been, well, people have left churches because um, churches have made major mistakes and, you know, scored goals on their own net. And then if you've been, you know, if you're in the kind of more right-leaning ecosystem, the story has been, well, people have left because uh, of the broader culture, the sexual revolution, these uh, 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 secular progressivism, these kinds of things. But the story is actually much more boring. Um, and the boring story, and it's the largest factor, is just the inertia of American life just has people moving, just kind of unintentionally drifting on from church. So in the book we talk about, um, in the book's in, uh, called The Great Dechurching, and in there we, we unpack two different technical terms that we coined. Um, one is casual dechurching. These are people who left unintentionally and without necessarily um, a significant pain point. That's about 30 of the 40 million people who left and only about 10 million people left intentionally and with significant hurt. And we call those people dechurched casualties. So mm. 30 million casually dechurched, 10 million dechurched casualties. Yeah. And we know, we know people in both, uh, in both categories. Um, Jim, when they leave, they're taking their kids with them. Um, they're also taking their dollars with them. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think about that as um, deeply concerning in terms of the future. Like these people who are dechurched are going to have children who are literally unchurched. And then there's a lot of money now uh, on what I would consider the sidelines, right? Because they are they've they've taken their dollars with them, and they're not necessarily investing those dollars in kingdom pursuits. Yeah, you're exactly right, and that's something that we want to make clear. Our, our because. You know, connected to your last question, 51% of the evangelicals who have de-churched are willing to come back today. So there's a lot of hope and low-hanging fruit. We have every indication that some of these profiles uh, are Christian. And by the way, we didn't – this is – the profiles were developed by machine learning AI algorithms mining the data, not just Mike and me. But the children – like you said, the children of the de-churched will likely be unchurched. And so we, we have a generational opportunity. The goal isn't just to put butts in seats. The goal is to invest in a generation. And the people who have already left represent about $25 billion in giving. So that, you know, if you're a Christian, that matters because that money's going towards uh, mission efforts, kingdom efforts. But even if you're not a Christian, 40% of the social safety net in America comes from religious nonprofits. So this money is is leaving uh, not only the kingdom uh, for Christians, but for non-Christians, it's, they're going to feel that money leaving the church. Yeah, your your local churches are literally not going to be able to do the kinds of things that they've been able to do in the past or provide the kinds of resources they've been able to provide in the past in terms of a social safety net. Let's talk about— Yeah, um, and you have— well, Go I was ahead. just going to say, you also I mean, think about hospitals, orphanages, all these things were started by Christians and churches. And those are the kinds of things that you see impacted in the long term with a transition like this. 
I, I also think that, you know, there are ministries that um, serve people broadly, um, serve Christians broadly, and those ministries may see the benefit of people committed to giving their money to Christian causes, but not particularly committed to a local church anymore. And so I do think there's a, um, you know, there, well, there's always an opportunity. Wherever there's a crisis, there's always an opportunity. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, let me ask this. Um, when you, uh, when I think about who is going to church, because even, even already on the text line this morning, you know, we've got people saying, we are in church. We love our church. Um, we're, you know, and, and my guess is, those people are in big, they're either in very big churches or they're in very small churches. It feels to me like it's those mid-sized churches that are literally dying off. Yeah, it, it, that's a really interesting question. Ryan Burge and I have talked a lot about the hollowing out of the the mid-sized church over the next 20 years based mainly on economics uh, mm. because mm-hmm. it is so, in, in cities anyway, it's so hard to have uh, a mid-sized church and be able to pay for a you know, quote full-time pastor and a place to meet, and it's hard because I, I would argue that some of the biggest kingdom value is in that mid-sized range. So it's getting more expensive. Uh, I, I think looking down the tunnel of time, we're going to see that more. Uh, certainly, dechurching right now is affecting every size of church, uh, but in terms of the economics, I think you're right. That's what we're going to see coming down the pipe. All right, we're going to continue to dive into the research here with Jim Davis and Michael Graham. The book is The Great Dechurching, Who's Leaving, Why Are They Going, and What Will It Take to Bring Them Back? You've heard the term exvangelical. You've heard the term deconversion. A lot of the folks who have, who would be identified as dechurched, they continue to understand themselves absolutely as Christians, They're just not going to church. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to continue this conversation next. We do have a couple of copies of uh, The Great Dechurching to give away today. So if you're interested, text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. We're talking with Jim Davis and Michael Graham, along with Ryan Burge. They are the co-authors of The Great Dechurching. Who's leaving? Why are they going? Um, and what will it take to bring them back? I think it's one of the best books of the year. Um, if you are actually interested in the body of Christ and how it's functioning, uh, particularly here in the United States of America, uh, you may be de-churched. Uh, some of you uh, texting in are. Others of you um, are struggling to go to church, um, and others of you are saying, hey, it took us a while Um, But we finally found a church, and then there are those who are in big, healthy churches um, or small, healthy churches as well. So um, thank you for all of those testimonies on the text line this morning as we're having this conversation. Michael, I want to talk a little bit about maybe the expectations that people have 
um, about church, about pastors? Um, is it possible that the things that we have grown to want and expect from our churches and our pastors is really not what pastors and the church are even in the world to do? Like, is the dis- is there is there part of this that there's like a cultural expectation versus some sort of healthy ecclesiology about the proclamation of the gospel and the body of believers? Well, if you look back in church history, you know, in terms of the historical marks of what is a local church, um, at least in the Protestant tradition, it's the preaching of the word of God and the sacraments. Mm-hmm. Um, some some traditions would also add church discipline, and so. Um, yeah, I mean, those are the, those are the basic marks of a, you know, of a Protestant or evangelical church. Um, certainly I think, you know, we talk about this in the book that, um, in certain, in certain, uh, you know, types of churches, some, some of these things have kind of gotten watered down into like, oh, well, church is kind of like a kind of Coldplay concert plus a Ted talk. And, um, we think that, those kinds of expressions of the faith and we have categories for all churches of all different kinds, but it does seem that, that many people, you know, their experience with particularly evangelical Christianity looks something like that, where the church don't necessarily know who's there and who's not. They don't know if Mm -hmm. um, you're not known by people in terms of, you know, if you're, if you haven't been at church in a long time. So and then I think that on the very other end of the spectrum, you have churches, um, you know, let's call that a, a low wall church or a no wall church. In other words, you know, people kind of move fluidly in and out. Um, then you have other traditions that um, maybe lean towards fundamentalism and feel a bit cult like where there's kind of over pastoring and over shepherding and the kinds of things that don't need to be pastored or shepherd, shepherded are done in those contexts and it's like maybe you want to get out but you almost can't um Mm. Mm. because of the way that because of the way that the power dynamics work so what what we're advocating for is something in between those things where you have local churches who actually know who's there and who's not and people are loved and cared for and where the people who are members of those churches are given um actual responsibilities and uh, are are encouraged and maybe even you know as able you know expected to participate both in the in the body life inside the church as well as um you know being our our sent identity into our communities as well and encouraged to you know to be active and involved um, there on those levels i think those are the churches that are going to do better um, in the years and decades to come is the ones that, um, the ones that expect more of their people and, and not less, because I think when you, when you look at the broader trends, it it does seem like just the consumerism of American life and is part of that inertia that just Mm -hmm. has people moving away from church. And so I think expecting more, um, you know, out of people in our churches is probably actually better, um, than less. Uh, thank you for that, Michael. I uh, I absolutely concur, um, Jim. When when Michael talks about maybe all of those um, very demanding competing priorities that we have, um, jobs, uh, other commitments, our kids on 
like travel sports teams, yeah. um, hunting, fishing, golf. The list could be pretty long, right? Some of this is about prioritizing church, um, and that is going to mean the exclusion of other things or the um, you know moving moving other things down the list in terms of our family priorities. That is going to be a fight in some families. Um, where oh, yeah. be, being engaged in something, you know, is actually about, you know, your friend group and those kinds of things. So can you talk, this is a discipleship conversation as much as anything else, it is. is it not? Yeah. It totally is. I, a few years ago, I had a, a, a sweet Christian mom uh, ask me if we were, we would ever have a Saturday night service. And I've got four kids in my home and certainly immediately I'm thinking that would not be good for the church if I'm never around my kids, but I didn't say that. I just said, well, tell me what, what, what makes you want a Saturday night service? And she said, well, we have three kids and seven sports leagues, travel leagues Mm -hmm. and Sunday mornings never available, but once a month we can do a Saturday night service. And, and I, and you know, my first thought was, well, we've got a priority problem, not a Saturday night service problem. And, you know, we were made to worship. We were made, we're, we're called into and babbed into the body of Christ. And, and one of the images that I give in the book, when I was a missionary for five years overseas, and every now and then we'd get to visit a U.S. Army base, and you walk on the Army base and you're on American soil. And, it, and it's not just a technicality. Like you're, you use dollars and you speak English and the architecture is American and you see Pizza Hut and Taco Bell and the, the police sirens make the right sound. Like it, you're, the, you're, you're thousands of miles from home, but somehow you're that you feel like you're home. You feel like you're there. You're a diverse group of people who feel like you're home. And when we worship together and and hear the word and sing together and pray together and and partake partake in the sacraments, like we're getting a taste of home, a home that is in some ways far away, but we're getting that taste and that nourishes us and feeds us and and fuels us in the mission that we're called to engage in here in this world. So we're made for this and you know it shouldn't surprise parents when um and you know yeah i want to say this in a humble way i don't know how things are going to turn out with my kids but i don't think we should be surprised when we don't take our kids to church from say sixth grade to twelfth grade that they don't start going when they leave the home yeah exactly um i i regret that we don't have another hour and a half to talk together because i i mean we have literally just dipped our toe into this and it's so rich and it's so provocative so i'm actually going to send people links to your podcast um and uh, and other conversations that you guys have had in longer form environments where you've had a little more time to work through these things you guys can just go to the greatdechurching.com for all kinds of great resources um, the book is The Great Dechurching. Who's leaving? Why are they going? And what will it take to bring them back? And those practical things, the what will it take to bring them back, literally, you can read that and you're going to be like, oh, that's going to help me invite Jessica back. Oh, that's going to help me reach Tim and why he and his family left. Like, it's literally, you're going to, people are, God's going to bring particular individuals to mind who are not in the church. You're going to see them in the book and then you're going to be given, you're going to be equipped with exactly not just the tactic, but like the invitational way that you can re-engage with those individuals and those families and invite them back in to the community of believers um, in the life of the church today. So I'm going to really encourage you to check out um, this book and the resources related to it, The Great Dechurching. We've got copies to give away today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Jim and Michael, thank you so much. Thank you for having us, Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
Um, I really, uh, I, I can't say enough um, positive things about uh, not only this effort in relationship to the American church, but the conversation that we had a little bit earlier about, um, you know, our brothers and sisters in Christ in Kenya and how they are being equipped to um, care for creation and cultivate the soil, not only to feed their own families, but their neighbors. So many good things happening. So let's be praying for each other today as we walk our faith out into the world that God so loves. Let's do so in ways that honor Jesus. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.